eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with 24-7 Sports. Uh, my co-host Blake Allerman will not be with me for this episode of the podcast. Again, he had a wedding that he had to attend this weekend. So Blake will be back with us going forward. But for today's episode, it's just going to be me breaking down Florida's 38-14 to win over Tennessee. A game that had a bit of a familiar feel to it, I think, for a lot of Florida fans. Probably not quite uh, you know, the Florida-Tennessee rivalry of old, where it was really a competitive, close contest. Maybe more of what we've seen in recent years, where... Quite frankly, Tennessee is is not really on Florida's level anymore, um, and that's just kind of the reality of the situation. We'll talk more about that going forward. Um, but familiar in some other ways, too, because Florida once again came out of the gates a little bit slow. I thought defensively, Florida opened the game and really didn't look very comfortable. Again, you saw some of the same things that happened against Alabama in that first quarter showed up again against Tennessee, missed tackles, a couple missed assignments, and you know, early in the second quarter, Tennessee's sitting there with a 14 to 10 lead. The offense, maybe not quite as crisp as they were later in the game. And, and the defense, again, having some of those issues with tackling and getting lined up. So I think for Florida fans, you'd, you'd certainly would have hoped that last night's game would have been a little bit cleaner. But like we talked about on the podcast going into this Tennessee game, the real key for Florida was to be, you know, was going to be to kind of block this next four games in the season, counting this Tennessee game into one group. And really the goal for Florida at this point, if you're being realistic, most likely the Gators won't be heavily challenged in any of those four games, with those four games being Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and LSU. But on the flip side, you know, you have to take care of business. And coming off a tough loss against Alabama, that's never a guarantee. I mean, a lot of teams handle that loss to Alabama a little bit differently. It's, it tends to be a very, very physical game when you go against Alabama, especially you know when you play them as close as Florida did last week in that 31-29 to game. You can come away potentially feeling emotionally defeated. You kind of left it all out there on the line in the fourth quarter, and you came up a little short. Where does that leave you? Well, Dan Mullen was pretty clear throughout the week, speaking to the media guys like us, that he thought his team practiced very well, that they were very locked in, that... You know, the energy was very great. I know Tim Tebow made a comment about it on SEC Nation on Saturday before the game kicked off. He had heard this was Florida's best week of practice all year. And so I think the the mindset and the energy from Florida was in a good place going into this Tennessee game. The reality is human nature. 
it's easy enough to to kind of let things lapse for a little bit. And I thought what you saw in that first half against Tennessee more than anything was that the plays just maybe weren't quite hitting as crisply as they did a week ago. And one of the things that I think has made Florida so potent offensively is the offensive line has really, really been very good at not just getting to their spots and getting a hat on a hat, but really doing it authoritatively, doing it decisively, such that these plays are hitting very, very well. And Florida is getting runners to the second level, you know, before they really are being impacted by potential tacklers. We didn't see that quite as much, especially in the first half against Tennessee last night. I felt like some issues on the O-line maybe contributed to that. But but by and large, Florida just was a little bit sloppy in that first half. And Dan Mullen came out, made a challenge to his guys, especially defensively. Hey, we've got to clean these things up. You know, if we want to be a great team, great teams don't have bad snaps. You know, the focus has to be on every single snap. We come out, we do our assignment, we play the best football that we possibly can. And at the end of the day, we'll turn around and we'll be successful. And I thought what you saw was Florida kind of honed in on that in the second half. And at the end of the day, despite, you know, some areas where you could point fingers and say, hey, maybe this didn't go quite great. Florida comes out with a very decisive 38 to 14 win. The game never really felt in doubt, I would say, you know, early on that first half, maybe. But really, by the time the third quarter ended, you felt like Florida was in the driver's seat pretty comfortably. Tennessee wasn't really getting a lot going. Hendon Hooker got a little banged up and Tennessee had to make a quarterback change. Just never really felt like the volunteers were in it. And I think one of the things that we can take away from that game is that these two programs are in different places right now. And and obviously that should be the case. Florida is in year four under Dan Mullen. They've really done a great job of establishing the culture, beginning to build some depth with guys that Mullen recruited and and Mullen and his staff handpicked and evaluated and have worked for a couple years to develop. Whereas Tennessee is still in the first year under Josh Heupel and has had some turbulence over the last several years. And, I, you know, there were a couple things that stood out to me as, as maybe being interesting takeaways from this game. One of them, I think, is something that has generally been the case during Dan Mullen's tenure, but not always, is that Dan Mullen, when his team has the, the significant talent advantage, when his team is, I guess you would say, kind of the heavy favorite going into a game, for the most part, Dan Mullen has been able to produce results. There's a couple exceptions, obviously, 20,000 or 2018, 20,000, 2018 against Missouri. Florida kind of let that Georgia loss turn into two losses and had a really ugly game against Missouri. Last year against LSU, he had the real letdown when the Tigers came in really, really shorthanded on scholarship players. And then Florida kind of just made every mistake in the book. I think what you saw yesterday against Tennessee was that. A C-level team at this point in, in Florida's progression under Dan Mullen probably isn't going to beat Florida playing a C-level game, right? If Florida's going to get upset by a team that, frankly, isn't as good as Florida, like Tennessee is right now, it's going to take that team playing well above their traditional standard, their typical you know week-to-week output to really be able to put Florida to the test. And I thought we saw Tennessee probably kind of like a C-team played more or less a C game. You know, the Vols made some things happen. Hit on a big 75-yard touchdown pass early on a miscommunication for Florida or a busted coverage. Uh, You know, had the screen pass that went for 47-yard touchdown where Florida had three guys miss tackles. Those aren't necessarily, you know, bad plays for Tennessee, but they're things that you could definitely make the case don't happen if Florida's fully locked in and fully playing its A game. And on the same token, those things alone by themselves probably aren't enough to beat a team like Florida that 
generally is going to be pretty disciplined and has better talent, a, a solid direction already in place with its coaching staff. So again, Florida and Tennessee, not quite on the same level, but I still think there's both positives and negatives you can take away from this game. Um, one thing that kind of stood out to me, and this is more almost random observation than anything, Dan Mullen was very, very complimentary of Josh Heupel and kind of the job he's done so far at Tennessee. He said in no uncertain terms two to three times that he was really impressed by what they've seen on tape from Tennessee, that they're playing much more physically, that they look like they have much a much better plan offensively, really know what they want to get to. And for a guy that knows offense like Dan Mullen, I thought that was worth noting going forward that, you know, maybe this Tennessee rivalry could get back to, you know, a little bit more of a competitive game. And certainly Dan Mullen thinks that Josh Heupel is doing a good job. And usually you don't praise your rivals. Um, you know, it, it, you know, I, I mean, it just usually doesn't happen. You don't usually give your guys that you're going to be potentially recruiting against more ammo on the recruiting trail. But, you know, I, I'd almost maybe wonder if Dan Mullen maybe has a little grudge against Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know if the two have run into each other on the recruiting trail here and there. That'd be more a question for Blake when we get him back. But I thought it was pretty pointed from Dan Mullen after the game that he, he routinely praised Josh Heupel and talked about, you know, the difference that he's seen from Tennessee in the last couple of years to Tennessee this year in terms of preparation, focus, physicality up front. Um, just something to note. So anyway, as we said going into this game, this should have been a pretty comfortable Florida win. That's what we come away with. I think the other thing that probably at this point, four years into Dan Mullen's tenure, we can say with some degree of certainty is that Dan Mullen is not against planning kind of more long-term when it comes to individual games, the game plan that you're going to have going into individual games. And what I mean by that is we talked about this next four game chunk being kind of get ready for Georgia, right? And it doesn't really matter how you win so long as you get the win, because there's other things that are important that need to happen in these four games beyond just looking as good as you possibly can. And that means developing depth. It means avoiding injuries at some key places and really continuing to establish the identity of your team. I thought Florida, for the most part, did that last night. And I think there were a couple decisions that lead you to kind of say, hey, Dan Mullen is very much still planning for the bigger picture, which is end of the day, we need to beat Georgia in Jacksonville in a month. And those decisions, I thought, were kind of keeping Stuart Reese from from really playing again. Because of the lack of clarity with injuries when it comes to Florida, we, we generally kind of only get what we get from sources and then after the fact information from Dan Mullen. We weren't really sure what the issue with Stuart Reese was. Obviously, he was banged up here and there against Alabama, so we had an idea that he was probably going to be at least limited snap-wise in this game, but he didn't play. I think that was more about Florida protecting him. Same thing as Anthony Richardson, who was 100% or sorry, was not 100% for the game, but was cleared to play for the game. And Florida staff basically just made the decision that they didn't want to risk him. They wanted to keep him in the emergency backup role as quarterback for one more week to try to get him healthy the rest of the season so that you have the lowest possible chance of him re-injuring that hamstring and then potentially not being available for a longer chunk of time. So to me, when you have guys like that who clearly are your starters, I mean, Stuart Reese is a starter if he's healthy, despite the fact that Josh Braun has played really well in his absence, despite the fact that Michael Tarquin's starting to get reps out there at right tackle and the O-line depth is developing, it's very clear that Reese is a starter, that Anthony Richardson is a guy that even though he's not a starter is going to have a pretty clearly defined role within games, even in big games going forward. For those guys to sit in a game like Tennessee tells you, in my opinion, that Dan Mullen was pretty comfortable 
looking at this matchup after going through the film and saying, hey, we can probably lean on our run game and really, really not have any sort of concern that it's going to turn into a really close game down the stretch. Now, that could have been very different. There were a couple places in the game where Tennessee absolutely could have made it a closer game, and I don't think that's even really debatable. The, the Volunteers missed uh, a couple open looks that maybe would have gone for big plays, possibly touchdowns early in that game where all of a sudden maybe you keep the momentum going a little bit longer. But I thought Florida used that halftime swing pretty well, came out, scored early on in the second half to make it a 10-point game. And from there, Tennessee really couldn't avoid making enough mistakes to get back into it. I thought, like you, like I said early on, they just had a lot of C-level play that you're not going to beat Florida with when you're not on equal footing from a talent standpoint. And I thought the balls, you know, in certain areas were close. I thought the defense moved very well. I thought they were aggressive. I thought they were physical. But at the end of the day, you saw Florida's superior depth kind of wear Tennessee down throughout the course of the game. And ultimately, again, Florida comes away with a very clear win. So let's go ahead and take a quick, quick break. I wanted to kind of jump in big picture and talk about Florida, Tennessee. But I want to talk about a lot more of the specifics of the game, especially Emory Jones, who I thought put together his best performance of the season. We'll be back right on the other side of this commercial break, talking about Emory Jones, talking about Anthony Richardson going forward, talking about some of the early defensive miscues right on the other side of this break. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with 24-7 Sports and Swamp 24-7. Talking about Florida's win over Tennessee, a very comfortable 38-14 win on Saturday night in the Swamp. Florida moves to 3-1. Again, had to bounce back from that Alabama loss. Did it quite well. And I thought... Best positive from this game, quarterback Emory Jones continued to progress from a very, very strong outing against Alabama. Not a perfect outing against Alabama, but a very strong outing against Tennessee last night. Emory Jones significantly better, 21 to 27 as a passer. So you still had a couple throws where he could have done a little bit better. And I think what you probably see, you know, when you, you hear 21 to 27, you think very, very efficient passing game. That's true. Emory Jones was very good last night. Doesn't mean there weren't still some areas he missed. I thought on a couple of the plays, he kind of extended in the pocket, had some open guys, didn't really get the ball to them. So again, you know, not a perfect outing by any means for Emory Jones, but I think when you talk about 21 for 27 in the passing game, two touchdowns, no interceptions for the first week, that's a really good game. Emory Jones, 209 yards passing, throws in 144 yards on the ground. The offense moved smoothly throughout. I mean, really just not a whole lot of mistakes. And I think the biggest thing, that was impressive about Emory Jones last night is he did all that playing behind an offensive line that was very much not fully healthy. 
you know, John DeLance came out after the first couple series, and Michael Tarquin was the guy that stepped in. Josh Braun was in there pretty much the whole time for Stuart Reese. So you weren't even really working with your normal starting five, and yet Emory Jones, you couldn't really tell when there was a huge difference on the O-line in terms of the personnel. Even even Kingsley Aguacan came out a couple times, you know, with, with various bumps and bruises, ended up finishing the game. Good news for Florida. We'll talk about the O-line more in a bit. But Emory Jones played really well despite whoever was in front of him, and I think we're starting to learn more who Emory Jones is on a week-to-week basis. And we can talk all day about whether or not Emory Jones is playing at a level right now where Florida is capable of winning championships. But I think in some ways you have to remind yourself that the fact that we're even having that discussion and that's the barometer for Emory Jones and judging how he's doing is a testament to what Dan Mullen has done. It's, it's number one, Florida fans expect to be competing at a championship level. And that's not you know a year from now, two years from now down the road. They're, they're talking about this year. This team can potentially win a championship if Florida is able to take care of business. And that obviously starts with the starting quarterback. A couple things I think we're continuing to learn about Emory Jones, because again, I don't think he's been perfect. I think there is some validity to wondering if he's the guy that can potentially beat really, really good teams like Alabama. And I think Alabama is going to get better as the season goes on. I, you know, you hope that the same is true for Florida and, um, but, but it's going to happen. Alabama is going to get better. So can Emory Jones, as he continues to get better, be a guy that you're capable of beating in Alabama with potentially some of these playoff teams. Who knows who they'll be after last week? And again, that's where I go back to just winning was so big for Florida, you know, yesterday and then really in these next three games. You, you, you're not guaranteed that. Six ranked teams lost yesterday and a couple more were on the ropes that managed to pull games out. So again, to win by 24 points against a rival, uh, you know, I don't care who you are. That's a, that's a positive result. But for Emory Jones, if you're talking about concerns, I thought a couple things still, despite the really, really good numbers last night. One, it, I think you're still seeing a little bit of hesitancy timing issues. And I think what I've noticed is it kind of boils down to specific situations where you're most likely to see those timing issues. And for me, I think a lot of casual fans have seen you need to kind of get Emory Jones rolling out and moving around. He's much more accurate with that quick kind of sidearm flick, especially kind of rolling to his right. That's where he's been very, very comfortable. You roll him halfway, maybe run play action with it off, you know, to the left, and then you roll Emory Jones to his right. He looks a lot more comfortable getting the ball out on time. And more often than not, the routes have been open there. I know he hit Jacob Copeland on one of those tight plays for a first down last night. But the the thing that's surprising to me about Emory Jones, especially when you think of him as a dual threat quarterback, and maybe this goes back to what Dan Mullen said, you know, well before Emory Jones ever became the starter, that Emory Jones is a pocket passer who can also run. I think that has some some merit to it because you would expect typically those dual threat quarterbacks, they do very, very well when plays go off schedule, right? And You know, I even likened it to Treon Harris against LSU in that 2015 game where, you know, eventually as as teams got tape on Treon Harris and what he couldn't do, it was easy to stop him. But in that first outing, you know, after Will Greer gets popped for the PEDs, Treon Harris goes into Baton Rouge and and makes it really a competitive game because of his ability to create off schedule, because of his kind of natural connection with receivers on scramble rules type plays, right? Where or where Treon Harris got out of the pocket, things kind of broke down in the secondary, and all of a sudden he was able to find an Antonio Callaway checking back to him, make a play, kind of extend drives that way. 
I thought we'd see a lot of that from Emory Jones in 2021. We really haven't. And I think that's telling you a little bit about how Emory Jones' processing works as a quarterback. I think he very much knows what he's looking at from an X's and O's standpoint. And I think this is one of the reasons Dan Mullen likes him so much as his starter. He's very good on the whiteboard. You know, he's been around. This is his fourth year now. He's sat in the film room with Kyle Trask for, for three years. He's been able to watch Kyle Trask pick apart defenses, say exactly what he's going to look at, exactly what he expects based on how they line up, how they move pre-snap. And I think with Emory Jones, when you have some of those half-field reads, it plays out like he expects the ball comes out on time, and that's when you're most crisp in the passing game. Surprisingly, it's the, the kind of broken plays where Emory Jones has a lot of opportunities to make plays, and it's not happening. Uh, had a lot of fans last night asking us on the Swamp 24-7 message boards if there were receivers open on a lot of these snaps where Emory Jones drops back, gets plenty of time to throw in the pocket, and ends up either, you know, kind of scrambling for a few, but not as many as he could have got if he took off earlier, or just, you know, nothing really happens on the play. Well, on a lot of those, Florida had open receivers, and Emory Jones just didn't get the ball out. And I think, again, I think it's, a little bit hesitation, probably uh, being aware that Florida is going to be in good shape if he doesn't make mistakes. I think he's a little less quick to pull the trigger when he sees guys open. And I think when you watch, you know, some of the mistakes from his first two weeks against FAU and USF, it's almost backfiring against him because I think specifically the the interception that he threw and now the game is escaping me, but it was one of the first two games the corner route to the left side of the, the field where he kind of scanned through his progression and I think tried to come back to the corner route after waiting for, for I think it was uh, Trent Whittemore to come open in his progression. He ends up throwing the corner out about three seconds too late and the defender that was in the flats is able to come all the way back and pick it off, right? That's the kind of throw where Emory Jones screwed up in the first two weeks and I think now he's almost more hesitant to throw in those, you know, kind of open scramble rules plays where he may have a receiver, but he's less sure what the defense is going to be doing because that pre-snap expectation has already played out, right? He knows kind of what he's expecting the defense to do initially in that first three to four seconds on a play. Once things break down, he's a little less sure, and that timing isn't quick enough. It's not decisive enough to come out and hit an open receiver, and you're seeing Florida miss some opportunities there. So if you're looking at areas for Emory Jones to continue to improve, it's finding the right balance of not being afraid of making a mistake in scramble rules, but also, you know, taking advantage and not not allowing plays to fall by the wayside because you're afraid of making that mistake, right? So bottom line, I think Emory Jones is playing really, really well. Um, we can always talk about what may have been if Anthony Richardson plays at Alabama, but at this point, that's not really on the, it's, it's not on the table. It's already happened. Uh, Anthony Richardson got another week to rest. Florida didn't really miss him. Wins by 24. So now you're going to have a healthy Anthony Richardson coming back against Kentucky. I think probably, you know, the offense at this point, you're looking at the O-line as being the deciding factor for whether or not Florida can keep this going. If the O-line manages to stay relatively healthy and or the depth develops at, at a pretty good trajectory, and by the depth, I'm really talking about Josh Braun and right now, and Michael Tarquin, if if that can happen, where those seven kind of stay intact, those top seven guys stay intact, and can kind of be healthy throughout the season, I don't see any reason why Florida can't continue to run the ball against just about everybody they play. Georgia maybe being the lone exception. I think Kentucky's second in the league right now in run defense, so next week will be an interesting test as well. 
But as long as those guys are healthy, I think you can get Emory Jones playing a relatively good game. You can get the, the, the running backs playing. I think the receivers are playing pretty well. I look at this Florida team and I say, again, I don't think any of these next three games should really be a huge, huge test for Florida. LSU is looking a little bit better. A game in, in Death Valley is never easy. So, you know, we'll hold that one a little bit. But again, you've got a bye week after that. You've got Vanderbilt ahead of that game to kind of give you a break. I mean, Georgia won 62-0 against Vanderbilt. So, you know, maybe even we just say let's take care of business the next two games and then, you know, maybe ratchet things up a little bit for that LSU game. But the bottom line is the health of the O-line is really the biggest issue right now. Stuart Reese, John DeLance both banked up. Uh, Kingsley was a little bit in and out of the lineup last night with a couple knocks at center. Ended up finishing the game, which is the positive sign. Hopefully those are just bumps and bruises. But if those guys can get healthy and stay healthy, I think that's the one thing, you know, that Florida can really bank on as a team is being able to lean on teams, being able to lean on that ground game. And I think that's probably the biggest danger to Florida's long-term goals at this point is if the O-line does get banged up enough to that, that starts to not become quite the strength that it has. Then all of a sudden you have to lean on Emory Jones's passing a little bit more. Maybe a team forces him to make some plays out of his comfort zone. The defense still not a hundred percent in terms of not giving up early leads and, you know, just, just not exactly what you want to see fully out of the defense yet. So Florida becomes a more mortal team if that O-line can't hang together. But for now, plenty of reasons to be positive on that front. Let's talk about the defense. Uh, the defense, I think, was probably the main culprit in a lot of fans early in the game last night, being a little bit unsettled, thinking, hey, oh no, here we go again. You know, 21-3 to against Alabama last week. This weekend, you go down 14-10 to to Tennessee. And I think... Obviously, the talent's different. I mean, Tennessee's not a team that Florida really had business being in a tight game with past, you know, early in the game. And to Florida's credit, they came out and made that the case in the second half. But I thought the early miscues, again, I know Todd Grantham gets a lot of criticism from the fans. And I think a lot of that is in some ways merited. Again, I'm not a super X's and O's scheme guy, but I saw a lot of the same things that we saw against Alabama show up early on against Tennessee, things that I don't place the blame or on Todd Grantham's shoulders. And by that, I mean missed tackles, miscommunications. Assuming the call got in correctly on the 75-yard touchdown pass, that's just a guy in man coverage who gets his eye in the wrong spot and lets a guy behind him, and Tennessee takes full advantage. You know, the 47-yard the touchdown pass off the screen, Amari Bernie reads it pretty well, just can't get out there to make the stop. And then you have, you know, Trevez Johnson coming across the field on a drag. He's in the area, doesn't really see the ball carrier. Uh, Rashad Torrance has a shot to make the tackle from his safety spot and misses. And all of a sudden you got a guy 47 yards to the end zone. So Florida's got to clean up big plays. They've, they've got to figure out how to start games a little bit better and miss fewer tackles early on. But I thought against the Tennessee offense that really had the potential to pose some real threats, you know, with Hennon Hooker being kind of a, a guy that can create for you, even when plays break down in the pocket with his legs. We talked about that before the game. Tennessee ended up going with him as the starter. I figured they would. He made some plays, and I, I thought Florida, for the most part, though, really controlled the game, never really let Tennessee's offense dictate the flow of the game, the pace of the game. They never really allowed the Vols to get into that super breakneck tempo. We talked about third down. I thought that was a big key for Florida. I'm looking at it. Tennessee was just 5 of 13 on third down, so Florida did a really good job. You know, it's just really about starting the games earlier, better, not missing those tackles early on. Um, 
Despite the second half shutout, though, I will say there was some concerning signs. And, and if you're looking at areas that have to get better over these next couple games as we continue to talk about Florida, I thought Tennessee had a lot of success running the ball in the second half, which is not really something that we've seen a lot of teams do against Florida. I thought Florida's defensive line rotation has obviously shrunk quite a bit in the last two weeks. I didn't really think it hurt against Alabama. I actually felt like last night Tennessee did wear down Florida's D-line a little bit, particularly on the interior. Jervon Dexter, I thought, probably played the most snaps that he's played all year. I'll have to go back and look at that when I rewatch the game. But I thought he played well. But, you know, again, as you're seeing him get exposed to a little bit more of a role, probably not quite the same overall impact for the front as a whole. So that's going to continue to grow and develop. That's exactly what you're looking for ahead of this LSU, ahead of this Georgia game. Get that depth really ironed out. But I think you're also seeing Florida brought in three grad transfers at defensive tackle this year. I would guess they're going to have to bring in at least one more, maybe two more next year, because you're talking about all three of those guys leaving after this year. You'll have Zach Carter, who slid inside on some downs. He's going to be gone. So you're going to have a lot of big bodies to replace inside. And, you know, Florida's got to do a better job recruiting there. Unfortunately, the last couple classes have been a bit of a black hole outside of Javon Dexter. Jalen Lee, I know, dealt with an ankle injury early in the year. I'm not sure if he's still battling that or if he's healthy now, but he's a guy that's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Jalen Humphreys is a third-year player who has really, really been plagued by injuries. Chris Thomas is a true freshman who's out right now with a right leg, right knee kind of injury. So you have a lot of these guys that you've recruited over the last couple of years who haven't been able to get on the field, haven't been able to contribute. Tennessee kind of leaned on Florida at one point, especially one drive. I believe they ran it seven times in a row and were just kind of chunking up yardage in the second half. You love to get the shutout if you're Florida, but those are things you have to clean up because Tennessee's not the best team Florida's going to face, and better teams are going to be able to get back in the game against Florida if they're able to do that in the second half. So D-line depth would like to see that continue to build, continue to develop. And then I thought the other, the other obvious glaring weakness last night on defense, despite the second half shutout, was the secondary. Tyer Elam was out with a knee sprain that he picked up against Alabama late in that game. He's expected to be back next week against Kentucky, but I think you heard the level of concern in Dan Mullen's voice when he talked about it. You know, mentioned that basically half the guys they had out there in the secondary last night against Tennessee, they didn't even have on the roster last year. And you're talking about guys like Jadarius Perkins, Elijah Blades, uh, Jason Marshall, a true freshman, Avery Helms, a guy that's a second-year player, was on the roster last year. Hasn't played a whole lot. So Florida was very, very young in the secondary. But outside of the one big coverage bust with Mordecai McDaniel kind of in the area, uh, the secondary played okay. I think the bigger issue is the depth could really, really be tested. You're, you know, At this point, I'm not very comfortable with Mordecai McDaniel. Uh, jury is still very much out for me on Trevez Johnson. I thought he was very improved against Alabama. Took a bit of a step back last night, in my opinion. So... You know, you're seeing that Florida has tried a lot of options in the secondary. And I think with the starting group, when Elam's healthy, when you've got, you know, Trey Dean playing at a very high level, thought he had a great game last night. And and you've got some other guys that are at least getting by, you know, able to play at an adequate SEC level can maybe work that ceiling higher. But behind them, you also have some guys who probably aren't ready for that yet. Dan Mullen mentioned walk-on Pat Moore when talking about the depth in the secondary. Anytime Dan Mullen's mentioning walk-ons as kind of influential to the depth chart at a position, I think that's him kind of preemptively warning you a little bit, hey, things could get dicey here. And 
Dan Mullen's a savvy guy. He's always been pretty good about, you know, if he does have a concern, he'll kind of subtly put things out there. That way you can always kind of look back, you know, if two, three weeks from now, the secondary picks up another injury or two, you can be like, hey, man, Dan Mullen was concerned about this three weeks ago. Here it is. And not that it's like kind of built in excuse making, but I mean, it's a valid reality. We knew that Florida was going to be young in the secondary coming into the year. They are injury hit to probably the guy you can least afford to lose. And so now you have some question marks. So that hurt. Um, I thought Mullen bringing up the depth was was pretty interesting. Final points for me today. I know I'm running a little bit long. Anthony Richardson was once again cleared to play last night. Dan Mullen very much reiterating that the medical staff believed that if they could get him through this game without re-injuring that hamstring injury, that he'd be 100% come Monday. You won't need any more MRIs, anything like that. Anthony Richardson should be 100% for Monday's practice going into the Kentucky game. That game could be a tough game. You know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think, as potentially being one where Kentucky's got a little bit more of a passing game now, a new transfer quarterback that's playing really well. I do think the Wildcats have some issues turning the ball over, and that could make for an interesting game either way. You know, if the, if the Wildcats clean it up, they're, they're a much more dangerous team probably than they've looked the first few weeks. On the flip side, if they don't, you know, Florida could luck out and come out with an easier game than expected. But a night game in Lexington, that is not going to be an easy trip. Mark Stoops has a, has a habit for kind of making life tough on Florida. So, again, coming out of that Tennessee game, I think the key, key things to take away were that Florida secured a very comfortable win bounce back from Alabama. I think now that you've had that bounce back week, you're probably less concerned about any kind of an emotional, psychological letdown against Kentucky, right? It's going to be, you know, a situation where Florida has to go in there knowing they have to play well. I mean, they, they've seen that on the road several of the last games against Kentucky. It's not going to be easy. That place will be rocking. It'll be Florida's first true road test. I know they played in Tampa, but really more of a home crowd. So it's going to be a good test for Florida. We'll talk more about Kentucky later in the week when I have my co-host Blake Alderman back with me. But for today, guys, that's going to do it. I thought overall, I think you have to be relatively pleased with Florida's win against Tennessee. I thought the positives were excellent game from Emory Jones. I think there's still areas you can work on. I think there's, you know, probably a better understanding of what he is now. And maybe he can't become the guy that, you know, makes those routine off schedule plays. But I think if you're looking for a next step in his progression, that's where it is. Other focuses, you got to be healthy on the O-line, try to continue to rehab those guys. I think Stuart Reese, mostly precautionary in my opinion, holding him out this week. But John Delance, same thing. Got to get those two guys healthy. I love the fact that Josh Braun and Michael Tarquin are starting to provide some depth on the O-line. If that continues, Florida should be able to lean on people. You get Anthony Richardson back, all of a sudden you're a much more explosive team. Take care of business, man. Take care of business, and you've got a tough road trip coming up at LSU in a couple weeks. And then, obviously, the Georgia game, where if Florida's taking care of business to that point, all the cards are on the table. Atlanta's in front of you. College football playoffs are in front of you. I think Florida has earned a lot of respect nationally over the last couple weeks. Still not playing perfect football, but very encouraging for Dan Mullen when you can beat a rival by 24 points, even holding a couple guys that maybe could have gone in the event they absolutely needed to. That'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. I'm Thomas Goldcamp with Swamp 24-7. I'll be going through the game play-by-play over the course of this afternoon uh, and then either this evening or tomorrow morning before Dan Mullen meets with the press. I will have a full breakdown with my thoughts after re-watching the game, which sometimes are a little bit different 
and kind of this instant off the cuff reaction from a game that ended pretty late the night before. So be sure to check out Swamp247.com to view all those pieces. And we'll be back on Tuesday with more from the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Thanks for tuning in. all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply